You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor both hit RBI milestones this weekend as Alonso set the single-season franchise record and Lindor had his first 100 RBI season of his career. On the show today, I will discuss if they are the best run-producing duo in Mets history. In the first segment, we'll focus in on Alonzo and how he ranks among other greats in this franchise's history. In the second segment, we'll include Lindor and how that duo stacks up to some of the other great seasons Mets duos have had. And then we'll close out the show today going through the upcoming slate for the Mets Not only will I preview their series against the Marlins, but also, will they play this series in Atlanta this weekend, or will a hurricane move it somewhere else? Before we get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on Twitter, at FinkelsteinRyan. You can also find some of my writing at JustBaseball.com, where I work as the managing editor. Now, in franchise history, before Pete Alonso made his debut, there were only 14 players whoever put up a 100 RBI season for the New York Mets. Alonzo was number 15 in his rookie season when he drove in 120 runs. You break this down to that category. Mets who have driven in 120 runs in a season. You got Rob Ventura, first to do it in 1999, along with Mike Piazza that same season. We'll be discussing that duo a little bit later in the show. You got David Wright, 124, a franchise record tied Piazza. In 2008, Alonzo with the 120 in 2019, and then again now at the 128. So one of what is that? One, two, three, four players in franchise history, and the only one to do that multiple times. This is a, a player in franchise history that you're watching at the beginning of his prime who could own every single record imaginable. Now, we said that once with David Wright. We have no idea what can happen uh, throughout Pete Alonso's career. We don't know if Alonso will be a Met forever, but based on his character, based on how much it appears like he loves New York, <clears throat> there's no reason to think that the Mets aren't going to do right by Pete, give him a contract extension, whether that's this offseason or in a future one, to keep him in the blue and orange, and let him add to the record books because, I mean, he's already, in my opinion, top five greatest run producers this franchise has ever seen. It's right. It's Piazza. It's Strawberry. And you can make a strong case that Alonzo is already on that Mount Rushmore at fourth. I mean, you want to talk about uh, Gary Carter. You want to talk about Keith Hernandez. You want to talk about Carlos Delgado or Carlos Beltran. Here's the numbers of of guys who have put up multiple 100 RBI seasons in a Mets uniform. David Wright, best, okay, five 100 RBI seasons, five out of his six-year span there 
2005 through 2010. Carlos Beltran had three, 2008 through 2000, uh, 2006 through 2008, 116 RBIs in 2006, then a couple of 112 RBI seasons. You got Daryl Strawberry, uh, three years, 87, 88, and 90. And then you have a list that includes Pete Alonso of multiple 100 RBI seasons. It's Delgado, it's Gary Carter, it's Mike Piazza, and it's Howard Johnson. That's the list along with Pete Alonso now. So one more, he'll join that club of Beltran and Strawberry, another 100 RBI season. He'll be behind just David Wright. Three more, he'll be even with David Wright. Now you look at just RBI leaders in franchise history. David Wright, 970. Daryl Strawberry, 733. Mike Piazza, 655. Again, I just mentioned, uh, you know, kind of your, your Mount Rushmore. Those are the guys, and Alonzo is currently at 377. If he were to have three more 100 RBI seasons, he would end up third behind Strawberry. If he has 120 RBI seasons in those three years, which is a realistic possibility with the way this guy has driven and runs, you're looking at him only trailing David Wright in three years. That is realistic with the way that Alonso drives the baseball and the teams that he's going to be playing on over the next three years. Now, last week, Pete Alonso, to break the record, had four home runs and 13 RBIs. He is the co-player of the week in the National League with Albert Pujols, who just hit his 700th home run. Alonzo is on this type of a run where you look at the beginning of his career and it's comparable to the beginning of a career of a Pujols when it comes to RBIs and home runs. Now, Pujols uh, ended up obviously, you know, started his career at a younger age and had a longer prime and He's not going to hit 700 home runs, but Pete Alonso could hit 500, and he's going to be the guy that will will chase down Strawberry for the all-time home run uh, list, and and I think we'll chase down David Wright. He, in my opinion, Pete Alonso could be and probably should be the first Met to ever have you know 400 home runs in their career in a Mets uniform. He'll be the the first to have 500 if he can get that far. And I, I strongly believe he'll be the first Met to ever have a thousand RBIs in a Mets uniform. Uh, and he's just getting started. And, and you, you want to look at what Pete Alonso has done this season. Uh, you look at the stats, and I mean, he's a 270 hitter right now. That's a career best. 349 on base, trailing a little bit behind his 358 on base percentage as a rookie. 521 slug, uh, which is also behind the rookie season, but that rookie season was inflated due to the rabbit baseball of 2019. You look at the walk rate, it's been consistent every year at Pete Alonso. 10.4%, 10%, 9.4 exactly the last two seasons. But the strikeout rate comes down each year. 26.4% as a rookie, 25.5% his uh, second year of the 2020 season. Third year gets it below 20% at 19.9%. This year, it's at 187 uh, you know, his 142 WRC plus tells us he's 42% better than your league average hitter. Uh, the production he's giving you a 39 home run season, one away from the second 40 home run season of his career. He won't get to 53 like he did as a rookie, but uh, absolutely should get to 40. And again, you're looking at the, the most RBIs in baseball this year, along with Aaron Judge, the last I checked. Uh, they'll be battling it out to just see who ends up being that MLB RBI leader. But Pete is looking like the clear favorite to lead the National League in RBIs. He already set a franchise record. 
And with some important games left to play, he's only going to expand on that. We could be looking at 135 RBI season for Pete Alonso and having him in the lineup all but one game this season, driving things along with Francisco Lindor. It, it really has been uh, that one constant that you can count on. And even when he's had his slumps, and, and granted, we've covered it here recently where I said Pete Alonso has to carry the mess of the finish line. He just had a week where he did that. He's got to have two more here or you know a, a week in change. But it, it's one of the greatest seasons in franchise history. And when we get to the end of the year, if we're just going to look at the offense, because obviously Francisco Lindor I'm going to talk about in a second as we're going through duos. Uh, you know, he's had a better season when it comes to F4 because of the defense, but specifically on the offense, we're going to be able to make an argument at the end of this season that's one of the best this franchise has ever seen. But is it the best season by a duo? That is something we will discuss in just a minute. Before we get to that, though, we have to talk about Bet Online. This is where you want to go, the number one source for football betting info this season. Find all of the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all of your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website at betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in the action. Bet online where the game starts. So I wanted to go through the best seasons a duo has had when it comes to producing runs in Mets history. And the first one to look at is 1999. And if you want to just go strictly duos, might be the best ever. And at least with the numbers they put up combined, probably is. You had Mike Piazza, who had set the franchise record, 124 RBIs, a 303 hitter that year, 361 on base, 575 slugging, 936 OPS. OPS Plus, which is a very similar stat to WRC Plus, measuring hitters based on a league average of 100. At 135, 35% better than your league average hitter. Uh, you had the 40 bombs, 25 doubles. He was amazing, as was Robin Ventura. Played all but one game that season. Uh, 301 hitter, 379 on base, 529 slugging, 908 OPS, 130 OPS plus. 32 home runs, 120 RBIs. You also had Edgardo Alfonso that year with 108 RBIs. So, that's a trio, and that's the interesting thing here because you also have John Olrude, uh, I should mention, with a 427 on base percentage that year. Unbelievable offensive team. The Mets have had really good trios, and that's the difference between this team because uh, Jeff McNeil, I guess, would be included uh, in a trio in the offensive season he had. Uh, if we had really wanted to break it all down, that trio is right up there with these other ones. But when it comes to run production, McNeil's not a 100 RBI guy. The Mets had three seasons, 2006 to 2008, where they had three guys that were producing runs at an incredible clip with David Wright, Carlos Belchard, and Carlos Delgado. And it helped to have Jose Reyes scoring a boatload of runs as well. And Beltran uh, was scoring 
a ton, as was really all those guys with David Wright and Delgado driving himself in a bunch. You look at the 2006 season, which uh, prior to this one was, I think, the greatest regular season in my lifetime as a fan. And you got Delgado, who had 38 home runs, 114 RBIs, a 909 OPS, 131 OPS+. plus. David Wright, 26 home runs. 116 RBIs. They also had 40 doubles, five triples, uh, 311 average, 381 on base, 912 OPS, 133 uh, OPS plus. And Beltron, a 150 OPS plus, 982 OPS, 41 home runs, 116 RBIs. So that trio, all over 114 RBIs, that's remarkable. Okay. So that is a really good group. You go to the 2007 Mets and you have. Uh, Delgado was a little bit short that year, only played 139 games. So he had 87 RBIs, uh, OPS of only 781 OPS plus of 102, not quite as good of a season, but David Wright had 30 bombs, 107 ribbies, uh, 149 OPS plus 963 OPS Beltron, not as good as 06, but still had 33 bombs. Oh, 112 runs batted in 878 OPS, 125 OPS plus. Really good season by the two of them. It pales in comparison to 2006, but it's worth mentioning. 2008, once again, you got David Wright really coming into his own. Probably the best season of his career. Uh, Was so good. 42 doubles, two triples, 33 home runs. Tied the then franchise record that Alonzo just broke with 124 BIs. 302 hitter, 390 on base, 534 slugging, 924 OPS, 142 OPS+. plus right on line with what Alonzo is doing this year when it comes to WRC+. And then you had Beltron, 112 runs driven in, 27 home runs, uh, 130 OPS+. plus. Meanwhile, Delgado, 38 bombs, 115 RBIs, 128 OPS+, plus, 871 OPS. Bottom line, that was an incredible trio that had a great three-year run. Curious how this current trio would factor in McNeil, but it just strictly on duos. Pete Alonzo and Francisco Lindor are right up there with all these guys because, I mean, you combine the 99 guys with Piazza and Ventura for just two guys. You're talking about 244 RBIs. Right now, you got Alonzo alone at 124. You add in 103 um, from Lindor. That is uh, 231 RBIs. They got some time to try to break that record by a duo, but this season Lindor is having, uh, you're talking about almost a seven F4 season. His F4 right now is at 6.9, second best of his career behind his 2008 season or 2018 season, excuse me. We had a 7.8 F4. He's right there for the second seven F4 season. And that's just incredible production. When you get it with the glove and the bat, that really drives winning. He's hitting 275 this season, 346 on base, 456 slugging, 25 home runs, 95 runs scored, those 103 RBIs, 16 stolen bases as well. Uh, there's some some crazy stats. Uh, Matthew Brownstein has been tweeting out how it's it's basically him, it's like Hank Wells and Hank Aaron. I don't have them directly in front of me. But the combination of triples, stolen bases, runs scored, RBIs, uh, home runs, it, from a shortstop, 
it just hasn't happened much in fran or not in franchise. That's MLB history. It's a remarkable year. I saw another stat where his season based on F4 is worth over $50 million. Um, according to fan graphs, you're getting great production from these two guys. And uh, regardless of where the Mets end up this year, the season they've gotten out of these two has just been amazing. It really has. And it deserves to be recognized as we have an off day before we get into this last push of the season. You got two against the Marlins. You got this series against the Braves. Uh, and then you get the last one against the Nationals. It's crazy. We have boiled everything down to eight games, eight games to decide your season. If you're going to be NLE's champs, or if you're going to go in as a wild card team, but whatever happens from here, these two have gotten the Mets to this point. They have been the best players on this team, along with the Jeff McNeil when it comes to the everyday guys. Uh, and it's just been a joy to watch. Uh, and I'm looking forward to see what they do in the playoffs, because you know how this becomes the best season a duo has ever had. You go out, you perform in October, you win a World Series. Then that's all that matters, right? That, that'll that take this group above all of the Mets teams in the late 90s, the, the mid-2000s, mid to late 2000s, and then you compare them to the 86 Mets, the 69 Mets. Uh, it'll be a team that can stand alone, but uh, what they've done this year just deserves some recognition. So I wanted to spend the first couple seconds today going through that uh, before we look at the road ahead, Mets will play the Marlins uh, coming up here. Then they got this series against the Braves, but where will that series be played? I have a theory. I will share it with you in just a minute. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. New York Mets have a two-game series against the Miami Marlins at home. Big-time series. You got to sweep it, really. You have to go into the series against the Braves in the best shape possible. The Braves have a game in hand as I record this. They haven't played yet, so as you're listening or watching, the division lead will either be two games or one game, and then they're lined up for the rest of the year. There'll be the two more games they play against the Marlins, Meanwhile, the Braves will be concluding the, the final two games of their three games current series against the Nationals. They play each other. Then they each have a three-game series against the team that the other one had just played. So for the Mets, it'll be three against the Nationals. For the Braves, it'll be three against the Marlins. Now, the pitching matchups for the next two days, Pablo Lopez, Carlos Carrasco. The Mets have handled Lopez this year. Jesus Lazardo versus Taiwan Walker. Lefty uh, opportunity there. For Mark Vientos, potentially, get back in the lineup, see what he can do. Uh, but uh, the bottom line is you got to win these games. And I would spend more time on them, but there's something a little more fascinating, I think, that needs to be discussed, which is where are they playing baseball this weekend? Now, those of you who are listening to the show have probably heard me say, my dad and I were planning to be in Atlanta for this series, but there's this Hurricane Ian, or Ian, Hurricane Ian, Ryan said Ian. Um, Hurricane Ian that has now thrown a monkey wrench into everything. I wrote an article about this for just baseball.com today because I was trying to figure out what major league baseball could do if they decide to move this series, because you're looking at the forecast, the way things are shaping up, that hurricane will be around Atlanta, Georgia territory on Friday. Now 
we don't know if it's going to hit Georgia. And obviously, let's start with the elephant in the room that we have to acknowledge. We're talking about baseball here. This is a storm that could be devastating for the state of Florida, for Alabama, for Georgia. We don't know where it's going to hit any of those states in the Gulf of Mexico. You never really know with the hurricane where it's going to hit. And this thing is scary. I mean, it has a chance to be a Category 4 when it makes landfall. The most important thing is everyone's health and safety. So I hate to make it, uh, to trivialize it in any way by just talking about the baseball implications, but... It's a baseball podcast. We're talking about the Mets. This is what we do. Here's the thing. They did not make a a retractable roof when they built that new ballpark in Atlanta, which I think 10 years ago should have been an edict by the commissioner that every new stadium needs a retractable roof because you get into these situations. Let's just say this hurricane pushes far west. There's still going to be a ton of rain this weekend in Atlanta to the point where I'd be shocked that they play a game on Friday. now. If it moves far enough west, if the forecast seems like it'll allow it, you can maybe widen your uh, sort of start time to whenever you can get a game in on Saturday. If you can play one on Saturday, you can play a doubleheader on Sunday. The Braves can keep their home field advantage, which they're obviously going to push for, and you can play as is. Problem is, are you really going to do that? Because there's not a lot of alternatives or wiggle room here. Major League Baseball did not allow for a game 163 this season. If there's a tiebreaker, it is decided based on head-to-head play, playing the division, any of these other tiebreakers to decide a wild card finish or a uh, division finish that ends up with identical records because they didn't want teams to play a 163 when you had one day before you get into a wild card round and that could significantly change how those rounds are played out. So you can't have the Mets play the Braves uh, the final day after the or the day after the final day of the season when there is still a mutual off day before a wild card round where they would burn their best pitchers before they actually had to play in the wild card round. It just wouldn't be fair to those teams that then have to go up against a wild card team to try to earn their place in the division series. So as much as you could say. Play a doubleheader on Sunday, and if you need a a final game to play the 162, you play it. I don't think that they're going to go that route. I I really do not. So if you're not going that route, how do you get these games played this weekend? Well, the Atlanta Braves are playing in Miami after this final series at home. Why not play in Miami for the weekend as well? It makes almost too much sense. The Marlins have a dome, a retractable roof. Uh, You can go and play there and not worry about the weather. The way this storm is trending, and and I live in South Florida about an hour, hour and a half north of Miami, depending on the traffic. Uh, could probably be 50 minutes if I had no traffic. But the, the cone now for the storm has it veering to a point where we're really not in great risk. Now, we might get... Uh, we will be getting a lot of rain. Honestly, we're already getting a ton of rain now. We'll be getting rain all week, but by the weekend, the storm will be past us. And again, even if it wasn't with the track that it's on, it's not supposed to hit us at a point where there would be substantial damage around us. Knock on wood, obviously, but the bottom line is Miami should be a safe place to play these games. 
with the dome, you don't have to worry about any rain, even if there is, is other rain to, to that comes into play here. So it's a place you can get these games in that's a neutral site where the Braves can be the home team and to sell it to Atlanta more and to get them to agree to it, they do have a little advantage in that you don't have to travel for the rest of the season. They conclude their series that they're playing against the Nationals. They fly into Miami Wednesday night. They have an off day Thursday to, to regroup and get ready for the series against the Mets. And then they would play six days in a row in that same ballpark. That is an advantage for them. Uh, or, or it's at least less of a disadvantage than having to play that series in, say, Texas. Uh, at what was formerly Glove-like Park. I, I can't even remember. When I wrote the article today, they changed the name of that ballpark. It was like Shacken or something. Rangers Ballpark. Let me look this back up. What was it? Choctaw. Now called Choctaw. Choctaw Stadium. I'm not even sure um, what company that is, uh, what that sponsor is, um, or if that is a sponsor. Regardless, that would be another ballpark you can play in. Technically, you can play in Tampa, but Tampa is going to get more impacted by this storm. Miami makes sense. The Braves wouldn't have to travel anymore. Um, and, you know, for the Mets' perspective, you know you're going to get the three games and you can slot your rotation as you want. You don't have to worry about a doubleheader. It really is the smart decision for Major League Baseball. And at this point, I expect them to come to that same conclusion by Wednesday night. I just think that they will, which personally uh, is a little bit of a frustrating aspect here because I have tickets to all these games. Not sure exactly how it would be refunded, but more importantly, I don't know when to decide to drive out to Atlanta if this series is going to get played there. Originally, we were going to head out on Wednesday. doesn't make a lot of sense to drive out to Georgia uh, and then get rained on in that whole drive, turn right back around, and, and come home if we find out the series is played in my backyard in Miami. Uh, personally, I love it to be played in Miami, if I'm being completely honest, because it's a short drive for me, get to stay home, uh, get to go into a ballpark that is never full and maybe see it with a little bit of life. And it's a neutral site, which let's be honest, would favor the Mets as opposed to playing a rain soaked series in front of an Atlanta crowd. We'll see what happens, but that is now the story of the week. What's going to happen with Ian. Uh, meanwhile, the Mets got to keep winning baseball games. So we'll see how they fare against the Marlins before they maybe use their ballpark. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure you follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, at Finkelstein Ryan. Follow the show, at Locked on Mets. Thank you for making Locked on Mets your first listen every day. Now for your second listen, check out Locked on MLB, hosted by Paul Francis Sullivan. Locked on MLB is where you want to go to stay up to date with everything going on in Major League Baseball. You can follow Locked on MLB wherever you get podcasts.